This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 24 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the very best and most talented folks from the Southern California hospitality industry and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Groff McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for providing music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com or check out any of her family's three restaurants if you are in the Orange County area. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating, review, whatever helps other folks discover it on any of the podcasting platforms that it is on. And I'm happy to announce that SoundCloud should be on the way soon. There was a bit of a hiccup. I have no idea why, but it should be on the way. But again, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're taking your podcast. Anyway, let's get right to it. I'm very excited for this episode. This guest is Danielle Kuhn. She's the owner of Maison down in Dana Point and the hopefully soon to come Gianna Bakery also just up the road a little bit, but still in Dana Point. Uh, she's been a fixture of Orange County restaurants for years. She's done time as front of house roles, back of house roles, kind of all over the place. Bunch of different restaurants from little one-offs to franchises to a ton of different stuff. She's cut her teeth in the industry. She is a lifer. She is completely one of those people that lives and breathes restaurants, hospitality, serving people great food. And if you've ever been to Maison, then that's exactly what they do. It is local, really solid ingredients, really easy. It's kind of had this cafe, almost kind of Parisian, laissez-faire, but really, really genuine, beautiful type of place. Um, it's right down in the South PCH. So depending on where you're listening to this, if you're out of state, I know we got some UK listeners. Sorry, might be a little far for y'all. But if you are in Orange County or Southern California, you're on your way down to San Diego for a weekend, anything like that, it's absolutely the type of place that you want to support and see survive all these kind of dire times. It's the definition of a family restaurant, as you're going to hear on the show. Um, she's got her kids working there. It's it's really is her baby. It's her first spot. Um, and we're also going to talk about her next one, Gianna Bakery, which, is, like I said, is just up the road and kind of what's going on with that, where it's on hold, obviously, with COVID-19 and this whole, you know, I don't know if you've heard, global pandemic uh, has some things up in the air. But uh, Danielle is an unbelievably talented woman, uh, kind woman for taking the time to sit down on this pokey little podcast and talk about all things Maison, Gianna Bakery. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. You don't need to hear any more of me. You hear enough of that as it is. As it is Let's get to episode 24, featuring the owner of Maison, Daniel Cohen. Thank you. Happy Monday. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm, uh, I'm really, really happy to have you on the show and really happy to kind of chat about Maison and obviously John and kind of everything else that has been going on. Um, so definitely, definitely a happy Monday. Uh, for people that may not be familiar with you or kind of your background at work, would you mind just introducing yourself real quick and just kind of giving a little bit of your history? Yeah, I'm, my name is Danielle Kewen. I'm the owner and the chef at Maison Cafe and Market in Dana Point. Um, it's my first restaurant as owner, but I've been in the industry for 
over 20 years now. Jeez. Um, never really questioned what I wanted to do with my life. I kind of always knew I wanted to open a restaurant one day. And uh, now we are almost two years old. Is that is Maison really almost two? Yeah, in November, beginning of November this year. Man, time does go fast. Uh, can yep. you just so Maison is your first baby then? It is. It is. Yeah. So for people that haven't been to the restaurant or down to Datum Point to experience it, can you kind of break it down in your own words? Yeah, you know it's a French name. Maison means home. Um, looking at the menu, it's definitely French inspired. We're not a French restaurant or a classic French restaurant. Um, I'm not classically trained. I'm, I'm trained from the years in the industry. Um, I'm French, Italian, Armenian. And so if you look at our menu, there's a little bit of all of that kind of thrown throughout. Um, but really, it's the philosophy on food that'll um, serve not just through Maison, but also with Gianna. And that's making everything from scratch. Um, nothing artificial. Um, nothing from cans. You know, it's, uh, it's wholesome food. It's food that you, your body should feel good when you eat. So I adore Maison. I've written about it before for uh, Saute Magazine. I've been a fan of it kind of ever since you opened your doors. And when we're and we'll talk about Gianna a little bit because I am extremely excited for Gianna. But Maison, for the people that haven't been there, it kind of has like an Alice Waters almost kind of type of feel. It seems like everything is just kind of very natural, kind of easy to plate, um, really, really kind of just nice and hearty, kind of simple cafe fare, which is something I'm a huge, huge fan of. Obviously, we got to talk about the big elephant in the room, which is COVID-19, almost two years old. What have the past couple of months kind of looked like when you're kind of having to, again, the word of 2020 is pivot. So what has your kind of last six months looked like business-wise? Oh, it's been um, it's been an interesting learning adventure. You know, back in March, when uh, COVID was starting to be seen on the news, and I was, you know, very much so, oh, this is going to pass. This isn't going to affect anything. All these silly people. And then on March 14th, that was our last day of um, service pre-COVID. And I looked at the dining room on a Sunday and I saw, you know, guests were hesitant, employees were fearful. And I realized that we had to shut the doors, that we had to um, take a pause and see how we were going to move forward, how we were going to move forward to continue to support the community that embraced us, to continue to support my team that wanted to work and didn't want to be on unemployment. Um, so we took a break. We reopened as a complete market um, with takeout. We were doing meal prep. My son and a couple of the other busboys were delivery drivers. Um, it was it was crazy. So, but doing that and changing our business model um, allowed us to stay open and allowed us to cover overhead every single month. That's fantastic. We're recording this on August the 10th, so almost about six months to the day since your last day of actual, I guess, quote-unquote, normal business. How many kind of different ways have you tried? Has it just stayed as the market the entire time, or what are you guys doing now? So we we opened up as a market, and then uh, I kind of was watching, you know, obviously all over the news, kind of what Newsom was doing with reopening restaurants. Like It was May 19th that he said that restaurants could reopen, but we actually, instead of opening and trying to be the first to reopen, which I never think is a good idea, we actually closed for two weeks. Um, so during that two weeks, we pulled out half the tables from the dining room, spaced everything. Um, Maison is in a goofy little shopping center, so outdoor seating was nothing that we had ever offered before. We actually built an entire garden space. There's now eight tables outside, which kind of blew my mind because Prior to having to find space for tables, I would have never thought that one, it would look appealing, or two, that there was even space for it on our little sidewalk. Um, but yeah, it's really, we reopened with patio dining. A lot of a lot of restaurants have the 
fortunate space in parking lots to transform, but our parking lot is not so user-friendly. So we're stuck with our little eight-table sections outdoors. It almost kind of reinforces the original thought for the restaurant, kind of that, you know, local bistro kind of cafe style, uh, definitely kind of feeds into the Parisian a little bit, having to do the little tables outside the tableau d'eau, like everything like that. Yeah, I planted little herb boxes that kind of are the wall now to separate the sidewalk from the parking lot. So I now get to grow all my own herbs that we use in the restaurant. We've got citrus and it, it, it's beautiful. It, it's something I would have never done had COVID not forced it. One of the funny stories that's kind of been emerging, and especially, I would say, the past two weeks, again, we're recording this just beginning of August, uh, Brad Johnson from the OC Register has now finally kind of been one of the first uh, big-name journalists to kind of come out, and he's grading restaurants not on the traditional, obviously, how is service, how is food, how is plating, but more so on the spacing, the safety for the staff, what kind of precautions that they're taking. How has it been having to kind of evolve as so many restaurants have with no game plan in place? And again, this is your first restaurant, your first baby trying to figure out, you know, and again, it didn't help that obviously everything was changing, give or take every two weeks. But what's that kind of path been like for you trying to implement new safety features and kind of regulations and things like that? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely I think the lack of consistency has been the hardest thing for any small restaurant. Um, I, I, I kind of laugh, even though it's not funny, but restaurants, nail salons, and um, hair salons have always been the highest sanitized businesses because that's part of what we do no matter what. There's never a time that a table gets up and you don't sanitize the table. Um, you know, same with hair salons and nail shops. They're sanitizing everything throughout the day period. So, luckily for Maison, I think one thing that we're new, so we still have a lot, everything's brand new there, um, Keeping things sanitized and clean has never been an issue. Now, obviously, we all wear masks. All of the tables are six feet apart. Um, it, it's definitely trying some days to encourage guests to remember social distancing when they're trying to get coffees or when they're waiting outside for a table. Um, we have a hand sanitizer by the front door. We're sanitizing the bathrooms and every touchable surface every 30 minutes. But again, those are things that we already had in place prior to COVID. Yeah, it is kind of one of those ironic things that all these places that are currently really shut shut or at least extremely limited have always been those kind of sanitized stations. Uh, you mentioned that your sons work for you. How many boys do you have? I have two boys, um, almost 15 and almost 18. My oldest is uh, on his last month here before he gets to go to college, fingers crossed. Um, we actually find out next this Wednesday, two days, he gets to go to slow. So he's excited. And then my youngest is going to be a sophomore at San Clemente High School this year. And are they all working in the restaurant? They do, yeah. Nate more so than Noah. Nate's my oldest, so he's been on the schedule since day one. And then Noah has kind of tampered with being a barista and a tester. So we're kind of working between where he's going to fit into the schedule this coming year. I know that there's a lot of arguments going around about staffing issues, and especially as it kind of relates to the unemployment benefits. It's got to be a little bit of a relief to at least have a little bit of in-house staff, quite literally speaking. Oh, totally. Yeah, the, the staffing right now, now has been um, been hard. We, we lost only a handful of employees that decided to stay on unemployment. Uh, with as hard as that is a pill to swallow, also, you, you got to understand it, you know, from their perspective. Um, because with the amount of money that they're making on unemployment, why would they not want to be on it? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's difficult for sure. And then trying to hire new staff right now is 
is another set of worms because you don't know where they've been, how have they been quarantining or practicing social distancing. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different things that you've got to consider now that we've never had to consider in this industry before. Obviously, the big kind of issue is the kind of way that masks have kind of been politicized. And regardless of kind of where, whether you're listening or not, or even now, kind of where you kind of land on that spectrum, what's it been like as a business owner trying to enforce that? Because I was just in Dana Point this last weekend catching up with another uh, restaurant staff who were friends of mine, and they were saying that it's just been a nightmare. And obviously, there's, you know, reports, whether they're the beach cities or not, of just kind of how difficult it is to kind of implement those rules, whether or not the owner agrees with them. What's it been like for you and Maison? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's a way to entirely to mandate that because unless you have an employee, that their only job is to be the mask manager. And um, that's near impossible because, again, us restaurants were running on way tighter crews than we ever have before. We have all these extra steps of um, service that, like I said, we've always cleaned, but now we have to make a show of cleaning the table versus just sanitizing the table like we've always done. Um, the masking is really tricky. You know, we have with the outdoor seating, if I can't force someone to get out of their car and put on a mask, but you're trying to encourage them to put on a mask to walk five feet from the entrance of the restaurant all outdoors to their table. So that that's, it definitely is a, a very trying situation. You know, and also with employees, all, all of the team, they all know that they have to wear masks properly over their nose. And throughout the day, you're, you're constantly as the boss being like, oh, pull it up, pull it up. So, yeah, it's a, we all wear pretty masks. I got everyone Johnny was masked, so at least we look nice. <laughs> so, obviously, we've talked about Maison a little bit. I want to talk about Gianna, because when I saw that you were going to be expanding and doing a second location. And then I kind of through the woodwork heard what Gianna at least originally kind of was planning to be. Obviously I'm assuming that that's kind of on hold right now. Can you talk about Gianna a little bit and give a little bit of background about what the business looks like for that? Yeah, it's actually not on hold at all. It's uh, moving forward. It's just a super old building taking um, a lot more time to get ready for construction than anticipated. Um, Right now, we well, when, when Gianna, when I kind of thought of it, the bread at Maison is the only thing that we don't make in-house. So I was really passionate about wanting to find a bakery space to make and sell bread both to Maison as well as kind of wholesale bread elsewhere. Um, and then Braintree kind of called me up and they wanted me to open up a second Maison. And I said, well, no, Maison is the only Maison it's ever going to be. And they said, well, we have a space we want you to look at. Um, so they walked me up to Aurora's and I, you know, I grew up here, so I was very familiar with, with that space. And I just kind of saw what, what Gianna truly meant to be, which is an Italian marketplace with bread, pasta, pastries, um, an Italian market with all imported goods, a coffee shop, a deli, a wine bar, cafe. So kind of a little bit of everything. So where did your passion, like passion for this kind of style of, food and and not just like necessarily with the restaurant, but kind of the service and kind of that, as you mentioned, because kind of those homes for everything you need, kind of market cafe, all kind of rolled into one. Where does your passion for that come from? You know, I, it's literally, it's just everything that I've ever wanted. I never traveled and I had kids very young. So I read books, I read cultural books on the history of food from other countries. And my grandma used to travel to Europe every uh, winter and spend the summer in Newport beach. And when she'd be in Newport, she would, 
tell my sister and I all of her travels and the places she went. And so I think in my head, I just kind of always have this little passion for this European style of small marketplace where you do get everything, where you know everyone by name. Um, yeah, and so now I'm, I'm just kind of reaching out into all the different cultural styles of food that I'm passionate about and um, bringing each one of them to life. Is there any sort of a time frame for when the public could expect Gianna to even open its doors a little softly? I know I'm assuming it's going to be a little bit of a construction project. I, I, I love that building. I love that little market kind of like window that you could do. But that's that's an old, old building. So God knows it probably it needs some love. Yeah, there was asbestos in it. So we just debated that last month. Um, and now we're on to the structural repairs. Um, Frank and Aurora didn't have um, anything on the roof at, at the market. So right now I'm trying to make sure that the, the structure itself is sound for all of the roof equipment, you know, AC units, all the HVAC stuff for the hood. So there's, there's a lot of work that's happening. At this point, you know, when I signed the lease back in February, I thought we'd be open by November. And now I'm thinking it'll probably be closer to February, March. What yeah. was what was that kind of like realization? So you said you, you got the lease in February. Obviously, what, second week of March, everything kind of shuts down. What was that kind of moment like for you? Because we talked about your reaction with Maison and how you quote unquote pivoted for that. But what's it like when you're holding a basically a month old lease for a brand new building that you still have to do construction on in the whole nine yards? You know, I honestly didn't even think twice about it. Um, obviously, the everything that's going on in the world is not going to get better overnight. But we are as humanity going to come out of this and we're going to come out of it stronger and more united. Um, regardless of how many disagreements there are on all these political issues. I, I feel like truly our communities are going to be stronger um, in the next couple of years as people, you know, maybe get a little bit more hyper-focused on staying local, supporting local, um, supporting small businesses. So for me, I didn't really think twice about moving forward. I knew I had a long road of construction ahead. Um, I will say, though, that the landlords, the first week of April, they called me. And they called me and just said, hey, we just want to check in on you and your family. Are you doing good? And there was no pressure to say, oh, I'm moving forward. Or, oh, I'm going to pull out. And so that was a really comforting thing to know that the people that own the property are really wanting to support me and see Gianna come to life. That's really wonderful to hear because obviously everybody's kind of first thought is all the talks about rents and, and rent suspensions and obviously like moratoriums and different things like that. So that's a really, really refreshing take with you mentioned the community. I don't know if there's a single town that's under more construction right now and expanding than Dana Point. The amount of apartments that are going up, the townhomes, things like that. Obviously, I, I would say Gianna if I wasn't exactly talking to the owner of Gianna, but there's so many restaurants being built. There's so many things going in. That community can only get stronger. Do you feel better positioned with everything going on in the restaurant industry knowing that the market is kind of a potential future if we're not looking at dining in, let's say for the next six months? being able to have that kind of market set up for people to kind of quickly move in and out, pre-made stuff to go. Does it feel better being in that position versus if you were working on just a brick and mortar traditional dine-in restaurant? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, kind of with the same thing with Maison, I don't know that any of my restaurants that I intend on opening will ever be a fully sit-down only. Um, I, I love the idea of grab-and-go, kind of upstill casual, where you're getting this great quality product, but you don't, you're not, you know, selling an arm for it. Um, with Gianna, though, in particular, really is the, the vision that I had for it definitely fits into this post-COVID kind of getting back to normal environment. 
you mentioned that obviously the one thing you don't do in house right now is the bread. I'm assuming that you want to run a kind of a bakery program out of Gianna. Is that on the plans? Oh yeah. The, so Gianna is about three times the size of Maison. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bakery kitchen that I'm building there is the size of Maison entirely. So wow. there's going to be a big glass wall that you'll be able to look in when you enter the building and watch all of the bakers rolling up bread, rolling croissants, making the pastas. Um, I've kind of, well, you're familiar with that building. So where the butcher was, it's kind of on a little platform. Mm -hmm. So I'm keeping that platform and kind of making the bakery, the heart of the restaurant, kind of its own stage. Oh, that's fun. One of the biggest things that obviously kind of happened, I don't give or take a month into the first kind of shutdown quarantine is the explosion of the at-home baker. Um, I don't know again, you could not have kids, but you're definitely going to have a sourdough starter. It seemed like everybody was baking. Sourdough became the thing. Did totally. you did you get into any baking projects during any downtime or was it pretty much just running the restaurant and focusing on the family? It was the restaurant and the boys, but my oldest actually experimented with some sourdough starters. But, um, you know, he's a biochem major, so he was looking at it very scientifically and he was like purposely killing it to see if he could bring it back to life. Um, <laughs> ultimately, it did die, but we had a couple rounds of sourdough from it. Um, yeah, it's, I kind of like, this is great. My, my fishing pool of who I'm going to be able to hire is going to be so strong because everyone became a baker the last six months. Yeah. Everyone's got another way around starter and everything else and measurements. So <laughs> that's yeah. really funny. Um, you mentioned the two boys. If you want, I, I want to talk about the family aspect a little bit because obviously the big discussion going around the U.S. is depending on the time of year and where you live is the reopening of schools and reopening of in-classroom learning. Um, I have some friends who are teachers, and I know that this is a really big topic. Obviously, it's probably a big topic nationwide. Um, only a few states have opened back up. What was it like the first couple, I guess, two or three months when those first shutdown happened that your boys were in school having to do listen, like distance learning, not just being a restaurant owner, but also being a mom? What was that experience like yeah, for you? It, um, it, it's difficult. I mean, being a parent has so many challenges on its own, whether you're a two-parent family or a single-parent family. Um, always trying to direct the traffic of the children and the education. And I think for a lot of parents, it was a big wake up of how much our school system does, how much those teachers really do mean for these students. Um, you know, for my oldest, he was graduating high school. So it was, he handled it really well. I think I was more sad for him that he missed out on this pivotal last moment going from being this, you know, senior to being this college student, young man. Um, he had a, couple of really great teachers that really left a very positive, uh, permanent impact on his life. So it was nice getting to see him write those thank you letters that he would usually have gone to give in person and instead send them to the high school to be distributed because of COVID. Um, my youngest, you know, Noah, Noah is so insanely smart. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that kind of we learned some lessons about the distance learning the last few months of the school year. And we'll be more organized and prepared for the beginning of the sophomore year. Um, also, the teachers. I mean, we were all thrown into it together. The teachers weren't prepared for social distance learning prior to this. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting adventure. I'm grateful that my kids are older because I can only imagine the pressure that parents with younger children have as they're looking at how they're going to balance, you know, providing an income, having kids learn from home. All the all the new styles map. I mean, proper the that whole what's the what's the new map called? Um, oh God, I, math is probably my worst subject on the planet. So just any math, and I already get oh, like yeah. shakes. I, I get I just oh, got yeah. like primal fear when you brought up math. <laughs> totally, but it's 
that's what it is. It's common core math, which is so different than I learned math. So I'm grateful that my kids are much smarter than me and can hopefully handle their own. <laughs> I was going to say, did you have to turn into a, a teacher for any coursework or were they pretty self-sufficient and, and set up? Yeah, I mean, at this age, at 15 and 18, they, they kind of know what they need to get done. Now, getting it done in a timely manner, I think that's, that's where school comes into play, is having the teacher that's constantly reminding. Um, so that's something that I'm going to try to work on this next year, is being more on top of the school loop and what projects are due when, instead of just entrusting that the you know video games aren't getting played. <laughs> that's, that's a big trust to ask these days. Yeah. <laughs> So before Maison, you mentioned that you worked kind of cooking, self-trained, things like that. Can you walk me through your background a little bit and how you got to Maison, kind of what made you want to pursue that and open it up and kind of how you found that space? Yeah. So, I mean, my my very first job when I was 13 was at a little coffee. It was called Coffee Pub in Laguna. Um, and it was a coffee shop, but it was had that same sense of home. You know, like we knew everyone that came into the coffee shop. Um, the food was simple. It was, you know, bagels and chicken salad. Um, but the food was good. It was thoughtful. Um, and then from there, I moved to Costa Mesa, and I worked at this little uh, sandwich shop called Sir Rogers Cafe. And again, family-owned, family-operated. We roasted our own turkeys. We roasted our own tenderloins for the roast beef. Um, I just kind of, I think from a very early age in this industry, knew that I wanted to be a part of something with some passion behind it, more than just putting food on a plate. Um, and then from there, I mean, I, you know, I was at Tannen's restaurant as a teenager. I was their auditor and bookkeeper, um, kind of bounced around. And then my, my first real career position as an adult was with Hennessy's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started out at their Laguna store as an assistant manager and then worked my way up to GM. And that kind of, I think was the first time that I really learned more about the business side of the industry. Um, at Canon's, you know, I was responsible for all the inventory. So I got the accounting side of it, but more so the business of what makes what makes the restaurant successful. How do you how do the numbers work with the sales? How does labor work? Um, and then after Hennessy's, I was with Umami Burger. And I was a multi-unit GM, and um, when I was with them, I was hired by Adam Fleischman, who was the founder, mm-hmm. and he was so passionate about the product that they were offering. Um, you know, there was this culture there of of really quality ingredients and you know I kind of like the stubbornness of we don't change the burgers because the burgers are designed exactly how they're supposed to be um, I loved the science behind it too um, and then from there let's see then my grandma got diagnosed with cancer and that was when I needed to step out of the corporate world of running restaurants and um, obviously the restaurant is, is, is long hours mm-hmm. and holidays and I kind of wanted to be home more with the boys. I wanted to have more time to help the family with my grandma. And so um, that's when I left and I actually got hired at the cellar in San Clemente, which was um, the last job that I had prior to opening Maison. If you're like me, during a quarantine, you probably got pretty familiar with your food service delivery drivers. But third-party companies can put a big financial strain on restaurants that are already taking a hit under a pandemic. That's why I was excited to learn about what Chef Debbie Lee is doing with her pop-up, Soul Town Supper. When you put in any type of order at $50 or more over at mindbodyfork.com, you can get free delivery of any of her amazing Korean pub grub. It's fantastic food that'll keep your heart happy while sitting at home. Using the discount code BESTSEATS10, 
That's B-E-S-T-C-E-A-T-S and the number 10. You can get 10% off your first order. Orders have to be submitted by Wednesdays at 5 p.m. And the delivery will be at your doorstep when you wake up Friday morning. As Chef Deb will pack everything with insulated bags, reheating instructions, and more, and drop it on your doorstep between midnight and 6 a.m. So you can start your weekend right with delicious Korean pub fare. I've had it. I love it. I support it. You can go to mindbodyfork.com to learn more information and place an order for yourself. Again, using the discount code BESTSEATS10. Enjoy. So as somebody who's been from the area, kind of grown up in it, literally grown up in the different kind of kitchens and restaurants in it, what's it like to look around at the landscape now, all the new places that were booming and opening? So many restaurants were just about to open or just opened uh, kind of right before this all broke out. But even over the last couple of years, the culinary landscape has changed immensely, especially in places like Dana Point, San Clemente, and kind of some of those emerging beach cities outside of kind of what was already in Newport. What's that been like for you as somebody who grew up in it to watch that landscape change around you? You know, it's exciting and it's scary. Um, you know, you, you see so many people open restaurants that probably shouldn't open restaurants. Um, it's a, it's a brutal, brutal business. It's long hours. It's not a lot of profit. You know, you don't open a restaurant to get rich and you've got people that, you know, maybe, did catering and wanted to open up a restaurant because everyone said that they should, but obviously your overhead when you're catering is not the same as your overhead in a brick and mortar with exactly. full-time employees. You know, you get people that um, have food trucks and that's the same thing. It's just not the same. And I'm, I'm sad for a lot of these businesses that are passionate owners that are quality driven, but we're not ready for, uh, for business maybe even prior to COVID and then COVID came and wiped them out. I think that's a, a pretty sad reality of what we're going to see with a lot of restaurants closing, even restaurants that are open now, you know, over the next eight months to two years, I think we're just going to sadly see way more closures. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, um, I The day that we're recording this actually broke this morning that uh, Provenance out of Newport is going to be closing up their doors, kind of a similar restaurant in the vein of Maison, kind of oh, a local yeah. garden farm. So it's it's definitely going to be starting to happen more in the next three to six months, unfortunately. You mentioned it's a brutal yeah. industry, um, and that is something that I think a lot of people knew. I don't know how much your average diner realized it until lately, watching how hard restaurants have been hit. There was a lot of talk in the last couple of years about kind of that work-life balance, balancing out mental health, kind of making general you know quality of life improvements for people that do work in the hospitality industry. With someone with so many kind of years of experience being in and out of restaurants, you know, various restaurants, various business designs, what are some of the things that you kind of hope maybe don't come back from COVID, certain things that should change to kind of help lessen that brutality? Well, I would love to, to diminish Yelp, for starters. <laughs> I think that <laughs> Yelp adds this insane, especially for um, business owners or business managers that are eating, breathing, living, thriving hospitality. Um, and Yelp has given this pedestal to people that have zero integrity um, to be faced, to harm, to hurt small businesses. Um, you know, I'm, I, if you ever are bored, go, go look at Maison's Yelp. We, are, we have four and a half stars. We have mostly great reviews. But if you read through some of the bad ones, it's either people that have no business um, and are definitely not qualified to be restaurant critics. So, I, and, and, and to anyone that's giving poor Yelp reviews in this landscape that we're currently living in, that's just 
that just kind of shows humanity at its worst right there. Yeah, I definitely could not uh, I agree would, more. I could not yeah, agree more. I think that another change that we've made at Maison, uh, my kitchen is is the, the workhorse behind everything that we do. Um, you know, I have this group of the most hardworking, talented people that learned how to plate like a little French-Italian-Armenian girl. Um, you know, Mario was one of my main sauté uh, chefs. He came from 29 years working at Hennessy's and it was the first few months teaching him, like, the way that I like to plate is I want the food to look like it just perfectly fell. It looks mm-hmm. natural. fell onto the plate. And, you know, these men want to make everything look um, artistic, avant-garde, in a different way. So it was, um, that was a learning curve. But what I was saying is that with Maison, post-COVID, we're now doing a tip pool, um, front of house and back house, which is different than what we did prior where the servers made tips and tipped out the buffers and the hosts and the baristas. Now it's a group-wide tip pool where everyone's a percentage based on their position. And the kitchen doesn't make a ton of it, but, but the kitchen does make some, which I think gives everyone this a little bit more sense of family, sense of teamwork, um, supporting each other, which has been a really pleasant change to, um, to try not to before COVID. I think people are just starting to realize kind of the trickle down effect that restaurants have economically speaking, because God forbid, let's say a restaurant closes its doors. It's not just, you know, the 12, 14, 16 people that are on staff that are now losing business. You're also talking about providers. You're talking about farmers. You're talking about winemakers, things like that. What are some of the local groups that you work with or do you work with any of the ones around here that is kind of by you having Maison open is like putting money into their pockets? Do you work with local farms or fisheries or anything like that? You know, we do a lot with the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. I've got a produce buyer that goes up there. Um, our flowers are hyper-local. We get them from, well, Fallbrook, so about an hour away. Mm-hmm. I get the flowers delivered once a week, and then I make all the bouquets that are sold at the restaurant. Um, it, it's a tough, it's, I was just talking to someone the other day about some of these local farms who are selling to the public, which is awesome, but I wish some of the smaller local farms would work more closely with restaurants to come to price points that make sense Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day a restaurant still has to be profitable and one of the things that i'm super passionate about is that organic wholesome handmade food should be affordable Mm -hmm. you know you shouldn't think of maison as a place that you only come to on holidays you want to be the place that you come to a couple times a week because you just know you're going to get quality ingredients at a super reasonable price with service and ambiance that match so it becomes hard with some of the more boutique farms to get a value-driven produce. What's the feedback like been from your customers in the community? Because you mentioned that you're going to be coming, you're coming up on the two-year anniversary, so still very much a baby in industry kind of terms. What's the response been like from your neighbors? Well, you know, we are we are truly blessed. Um, you know, we have this incredible base of customers and guests who are truly family. Um, the Maison family is large and loving and kind and uh, watching them support us through this whole crisis has been beautiful. Um, we've had us that have just walked in and put a handful of money into the tip jar for my team. Um, we did a week service at the beginning of April where select item and uh, menu items we gave complimentary to guests mm-hmm. and Lou asking them to take care of our team. And the support that they showed on employees was pretty impressive. 
That's really, really nice. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. Did you have to go through any of the PPP like business loan applications or anything like that? And if you did, what was that experience like for you? Um, I did. I went through, I, you know, as soon as it became available, I put an application in. Um, it was a lot of not being able to get a hold of anyone. You know, one of the things that, that I did is I did not lay everyone, anyone off. Anyone that wanted to work had full-time shifts available. Um, so once it's finally, we actually, we finally got approved for the PPP the last week of May. So already, you know, months into the pandemic. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, and it was a nice sigh of relief to, okay, well, this is definitely going to help. You know, but when you have, I have 30 employees and most of them are full-time. So that money definitely came and went pretty fast, but still super grateful for it. 30 employees. So you didn't let anybody go. You kept everybody kind of going and on and shifts if they wanted it. Yeah, we had, well, we, we really were busy as a market. You know, all of my servers turned into cashiers and baggers. My buffers all became delivery drivers. My hostess were all answering the phone and taking to-go orders. My kitchen was learning how to make all of these new market meal prep items. Um, we were busy. It was, it was, it was incredible. That's really good to hear. That's really, really good to hear. Um, one of the things that I wanted to pick your brain on as a mother and as a chef and kind of touching back to kind of having the market is now there's a lot of conversations with schools potentially not going back or going back about that huge aspect of schools that a lot of people don't kind of take for granted, I would say, until it's gone is the providing meals for children, things like that. Being a market and being kind of any of that pre-made have you done anything or looked at anything kind of community-wise trying to either kind of like put meals together or kind of meal packages or anything like that in the community? You know, I would love to. I'm actually working with the Orange County Rescue Mission right now to try to do an event for them. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, I, that Lord tells those are two of the charity foundations that I'm passionate about. Um, I love the idea of which when Gianna gets open, working with the OC Rescue Mission to start using some of their their residents who are ready to go on the next phase of their journey to bring them into Gianna, teach them a life skill. That's one thing I've always thought was missing from our educational system, um, was teaching kind of the trade, which the restaurant industry is definitely a trade that can create a valuable um, full-time you know, income that people... Don't always look at, you know, people say they work at restaurants while they're going to school to get their quote-unquote real job. Yeah. Um, and for me, working in a restaurant has always been my real job. So I would love to see, you know, people thrive and grow and be part of the community and find find a, find a you know, something that they can be proud of doing with their life in yeah. this industry. Absolutely. That's a really, really awesome mission. I, I love that. I love it. Again, it's... Restaurants have always kind of been the last bastion for the, you know, the, the screw ups and kind of the, you know, the lost people. They would always say you'd find, you know, a couple of resumes on a line cook that maybe not all of them were there. And I, I've always I've always loved it and completely kind of romanticized that aspect of it. But using it as a funnel to get somebody back on their feet and teach them life skills and kind of get them going again. It's a really, really, really great thing. And I love the fact that kitchens can offer that to people. Uh, yeah, say, no, I'm, oh, I'm, no, please keep going. I sorry. only. Oh, no, I only, I was just going to say for a lot of kids too, you know, school's not for them. I, I made yeah. it through half of my sophomore year before I dropped out of high school and um, I was very driven. So even though I wasn't educationally bound, I knew what I wanted to do. So I think that this industry could be a place where people that don't necessarily 
have the desire for further education can thrive and grow and learn. I completely agree with you. I, I definitely took the scenic route getting my college degree, <laughs> so to say the least. So I agree with you 100%. Uh, you sound so busy with everything going on with Maison, uh, getting Gianna kind of up and going, being being a mom. Luckily, the kids sound decently self-sufficient when they're not working at the restaurant. So with all these things going on, what do you do in your free time? Or because we're in the middle of a you know global pandemic, has it just constantly been kind of nose to the grindstone? Had you, basically, have you been able to exhale in the past six months? Yeah, you know, I was so close prior to the the pandemic of I had managers scheduled and I was finally, you know, a year and a half into Maison getting to the point where I could be off and not have to be worried because I knew the restaurant was in good hands. Um, since the pandemic, it has been a grind. Um, it's making sure that all of the new procedures are followed. The guests see, you know, I think guests feel confident when they see the owner operator of the business there, give them that sense of calm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking right now, it's, it's grind time and I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully by the end of this year, we start seeing progress and um, get some more team members on that will allow me to have that little, little break. There's so much that goes into being a restaurant owner. It's not just touching tables and, you know, jumping on the line and expediting when you need to. It's, you know, you're at all times, you're a handyman, you're an electrician, you're, you know, a plumber, customer service rep. It, it, it can be such an exhausting thing. Where do you find those kind of moments when you are working and when it's a really busy day? What makes you the happiest when you're at Maison? Seeing my employees smile, seeing my guests happy. Uh, you know, it really, it, it truly is what I was designed to do. This hospitality industry is core of my being. Um, I thrive in the restaurant, flourish, seeing the guests happy. Um, it, it actually gives me the energy on those brutal long days. To, to keep going, to keep the team, to see every day we look at today, at the end of the shift with the day employees, we look up, we did great, where could we do better? Finding ways to constantly improve uh, is kind of my, my mission with my team, mm-hmm. is that we are always finding ways to be a better version of ourselves tomorrow than we were today. I love that. That's awesome. Well, Danielle, I know that this is your day off and Lord knows you've probably earned it, even though if I have any suspect and assumption here being a restaurant owner, it's definitely still not exactly a day off per speak, but I don't want to keep you around any longer. I want you to be able to enjoy what's looking to be a very pretty Monday. Um, If people wanted to follow you and follow the restaurants on social media or reach out, where can they do that? Yeah, on Instagram, we are at Maison Dana Point. Um, I'm Wishy in the Kitchen and you can find us on Facebook. Um, Yes, we have our website is www.maisondatapoint.com, and we look forward to seeing everyone. Except on Yelp, unless it's a five-star review. Otherwise, delete Except the damn Yelp. app. Yeah. Otherwise, if you go on Yelp and make a bad review, I'm going to have to comment back, which are usually <laughs> novel. As you should. I completely <laughs> stand with that. I, it, Yelp can just, yeah, they, they, they need to go chapter 11 in my book. Yes, yeah. But that, that's an entirely different podcast, and I don't know if I have enough audio space for to store all the ranting and raving I could do on that one. Totally. You <laughs> should do one with a bunch of restaurant owners and chefs, and we should get a review of the poor reviewers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be fun. I like it. Well, Danielle, thank you so, so much for the time. Um, I was so grateful to have you on. This is something I've been really looking forward to. Again, I adore Maison. I adore places like Maison. So thank you so, so much. Of course. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Take care. Chat with you soon. Bye. Bye.
Thank you, thank you, thank you to Danielle for the time. Uh, I'm so, so grateful. Again, not a lot of people get a lot of days off, so for her to take some time on her day off and sit down and chat is really, really special. Um, Again, I want to try and bring people on this podcast from all walks of life. Obviously, it's focused on Southern California, Orange County, where I'm based out of, where most of my listeners are based out of. To those of you who are listening in the UK, I saw you on the stats. I appreciate the support and the love. You may not be able to get to John as quickly, but to everybody else who's listening, the next time you are out here and feel safe to travel, definitely check it out. And to everybody local, check it out now and try to support it. It's one of those restaurants that I think we need. It is the definition of a family restaurant. As you heard, obviously, you know the way that she's running it, having her boys there, it's important. And restaurants like that are deeply, deeply, deeply important to get away from some of those kind of corporate behemoths and really talk about a neighborhood place that's, as you heard in the interview, filled with nothing but love. So thank you so much to Danielle for the time. I hope you liked this episode. We got some big ones on the horizon. In the meantime, stay safe out there. For God's sakes, if you're going to yelp anything and anyone, make it nice. No one needs an expert opinion. People don't need my opinion, and I'm not even an expert. So let alone to the need. If you see somebody yelping, okay, we're going to treat this like just see something, say something. You see somebody yelping, you lock that up. You lock it up. You be a good citizen, and I will love you for it. Danielle will love you for it. Restaurants will love you for it. Everybody will love you for it. All right, everybody, be good. Thank you so much for the support. I will see you on the next episode of the Best Seats Podcast. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats the following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier aka norm status and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode thank you from the bottom of my heart here are the supporters alexander cook katie kazzy eric lutz serena warino talia samuels cheryl mccarthy thank you for your support 